Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I'm glad to be here in the house of the Lord tonight. Is anybody else glad today, amen, just to be here? Amen. That's good. Amen. Why don't we all stand right now? Let's go ahead and stand before we get started. Can you go ahead and just greet your neighbor? Just welcome them to the house of the Lord. Amen. Let's just take about 20 seconds just to do that. Amen. And greet somebody you don't know. Amen. Amen. As the media prepares 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We thank you so much for being here tonight. We thank you so much for coming. Amen. Right now, we're going to go ahead and read a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. And uh, we'll read uh, up to verse 3, and then, and then we'll go ahead and pray. It says this, follow after charity or follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Amen. So right there, just keep your finger there in in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to be talking about that tonight. But why don't we go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. We welcome you into this house. I pray that a true stamp of your approval would be here tonight that people would be delivered and set free, that the gifts of the Spirit would be activated in every believer here today. We give ourselves over to you. I pray a spirit of revelation would fill this house in the name of Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we give God a round of applause today? Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. You may take your seats. Amen. You may take your seats. Thank you so much. Amen. The other night, I, uh, my family and I, we took this personality test all together. And as we were taking this test and you come across uh, what you are, there's about 16 different personalities that you can get. And um, one of them was the commander. That's the one that I got. I'm not sure it's 100% accurate, but uh, we, my family and I still argue about that. And they can be characterized as a person who uh, neglects emotion but is a, a go-getter. And uh, whether or not I am that, uh, I began to read about each uh, personality. And what I realized was that each personality has giftings and has weaknesses. There's strengths and there's struggles. And you can use your personality, those giftings, for others. Or you can use them for yourself. You can use the giftings in your personality in the way that God intended it, or you can use it in the way that your flesh desires to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so today we are going to see how God expects us to use the utterance gifts. Today we're going to see the way that God intends the gift of diverse tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, and prophecy to be used in a church setting. Somebody say amen. And so that's what 1 Corinthians 14 is. It just kind of lays out how to use this gifting in the church. And when I say speaking in tongues, it just means speaking in other languages. That's an old King James way of just saying speaking in other languages. Turn to your, ne- turn to your neighbor and say other languages. 
Okay, so here we go. Let's start off with the background. So the Corinthian church, so we were, we were reading 1 Corinthians. So we want to know a little bit of the background. Who were they writing to? What was the context? What was going on around that time? And so the Corinthian church, what you need to understand is they were extremely spiritual. They were very gifted, yet they were out of order and they were immature. And Paul wrote to them, correcting them. Now, I know many of us, we overthink the gifts of the Spirit. Man, I got to pray 14 hours a day in order for God to use me in the gifts of the Spirit. In order for me to pray healing over somebody. In order for me to speak in another tongue and interpret it. In order for me to be used in the gifts of healing, etc., etc. And we overthink that. But I just want to show you something. Biblically, the most carnal church was the most spiritually gifted church. And you see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. He says that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another translation says, so that you, be, so that you come behind in no gift. So the Corinthian church, they were getting drunk off of the communion wine. They were keeping company with people, this man who was having an affair with his father's wife, likely his stepmother. Um, uh, uh, there, there was serious disorder in the church. They were grouping themselves under divided sections that rallied around popular preachers. So imagine in our church that someone says, well, I'm, I'm part of the head ushers group. I'm part of Brother Jonathan. I'm a Brother Jonathan Knight, and I follow him. And then someone says, no, I follow the teachings of Shavante. And then, you know, they don't sit at the same table. You got the Jonathan Knights on one table, the Pastorites on another, and then the Shavante Knights on the other one. And then you got those who say, no, I follow Jesus and Jesus alone. He's my pastor. And so there's all this division in the church but yet they were the most spiritually gifted church so i simply say this in my first point do not overthink the gifts of the spirit all it takes is faith and availability faith and availability somebody say amen today Amen. And just by a show of hands, how many of you have been used in one of the nine gifts in 1 Corinthians 12? By a show of hands, if you could just raise your hand so some faith can be, go and leave it up high, leave it up high. So many of us, if not all of us, have been used in the gifts of the Spirit at one time or another. So do not overthink it. Do not think that everything in your life has to be polished. However, as we understand the context of the gifts, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, today we're talking about 1 Corinthians 14, but I just want to show you how we're getting there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 touches on the spiritual gifts. Now there are three categories in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to the gifts of the Spirit. This is not a biblical doctrine of categories. This is a way that theologians have divided them up. So I will not die on this hill defending the three categories. But the way that we kind of understand them is number one is the power gifts. And that is the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, and the gift of faith. Those are the power gifts. And then the second category is the knowledge gifts. That's the word of knowledge. It's not the gift of knowledge. It's not like you know all these things. It's just a word. It's a, a, a nugget of God's knowledge he's giving to you. There's the word of wisdom and the discerning of spirits. Those are the knowledge gifts, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. And the and I, I'm not sure how far we're going to go into the gifts of the spirit. Maybe we're going to touch on this uh, in the coming weeks. I'm not too sure. But if we do, I just would like to touch that uh, discerning of spirits is not the gift of discernment. 
It's the gift of discerning of spirits. It's not that you recognize if someone's lying or telling the truth. It's that you recognize that they're carrying a lying spirit. And you can tell if it's a demonic spirit or angelic spirit. Galatians chapter 1 teaches us that Satan can come as an angel of light. And so many people, men of God, have experienced these things. As a matter of fact, um, the Mormon church teaches that their, fo- the, their founder of the Mormon church was, was given a new testament, a new New Testament, a, 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 the second or the, excuse me, the third testament. And it was given to him by an angel of light. And all I would say is Galatians chapter 1 says it twice, verse 6 and verse 7. That even if an angel of light comes to you, do not believe any other gospel. So we need discernment. We need to discern the spirits. Come on, someone say amen if you're with me today. The third category. So you have the power gifts, the knowledge gifts, and the utterance gifts, or the speaking gifts. And those are the gifts of prophecy, the gift of speaking in diverse languages, and the interpretation of languages. And it's not you can hear somebody uh, who is an immigrant from Japan comes to our church and they start talking and they can only speak in Japanese and God automatically gives you and you can understand Japanese. That's not what this gift is about. As a matter of fact, in the early 1900s, they thought that that's what this gift was. And so missionaries would go to countries and say, hey, I got the gift of speaking in other tongues. I have the gift of interpretation. And they would go to these random countries and they would just start speaking in tongues out loud to the people. And no one had any clue what they were saying. And they realized very quickly that that's not what the gift of speaking in other tongues was. That it was a divine utterance that God was giving you in another language. And so we understand that. So today we are directing ourselves specifically to the utterance gifts in a church assembly or congregational context once again first corinthians 14 then shifts and it starts talking about how to use these gifts when you're at church now in their time and this is for you life group leaders and you life group members and timothy's uh, in their time there was not one big church gathering there were something called house churches which is what we do. We call them life groups. But for them, it was what they did regularly. They would meet in each other's houses, go from house to house, and they would eat, and they would pray, and they would teach, and there would be tongues and interpretation, and there would be miracles. And he's talking to them in their house church context, but we apply this to our church as well today. And I say all that to say this, be encouraged and have faith that what? In your life groups, the gifts of the Spirit should be stirring up. The gifts of the Spirit will be stirring up. Can somebody say amen? Give God a round of applause. I'm sure they already have in many of your life groups, but be encouraged. Amen. It is how it was with them. It is, it is how it should be with us today. So expect that. And if you're not seeing the gifts of the Spirit stirred up in your life, you pray, say, God, give me the faith. Let us make room for you to move. And many of us, I'm just going to say this one thing and I'm going to get back. I, I need to get back to this. But many of us, we, we think that, man, it's when I speak that things are going to happen. It's when, when I sing this song, man, everyone's just going to give their life over to God. And yes, there are times God can use anybody in anything in any way he wants to at any 
any time. But the truth of the matter is this. As Pentecostal believers, we believe that the Spirit interacts with us. We believe that God manifests Himself in a way that we can see, that we can taste, that we can touch, that we can hear. And so when you're there in your life group or you're here at church, I, I dare you to, to, before you step through those doors, to say, man, Lord, I cannot wait until you show up. I cannot wait to see what miracle you're going to do today. I cannot wait to see who you're going to deliver today. I cannot wait to see you manifest yourself in the church. And so I just encourage you. And so then we move on to 1 Corinthians 13. So 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit, various other things, and then moves to 1 Corinthians 13. And this is a very popular chapter in the Bible. And many people have heard it, and it talks about it's uh, many. It's deemed the love chapter, and, and this uh, chapter talks about love. For example, for example, First Corinthians thirteen one: If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or we'll move to First Corinthians thirteen four: It says, "Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And it goes on. And that whole chapter is talking about love. And so uh, many, this is commonly mentioned at weddings and that, and that is totally fine. That, that is, there's no problem there. It is applicable, but you have to remember that this very famous chapter is smack dab right in the middle between first Corinthians 12 that talks about the gifts of the spirit and first Corinthians 14, which talks about how to use the utterance gifts in a congregational setting. In other words, he is saying you are all gifted. You should be gifted. You're filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. You have access to all nine of these gifts. But if you are not acting or using or manifesting these gifts in love, then you got it all wrong. Somebody say amen. Turn to your neighbor and say you got to do it with love. You have to do it with love. That's what this is about here today. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more right now. I'm 15 minutes in, so let's go ahead and get moving. First Corinthians chapter 14. Let's go ahead and open up to verse one. So we're going to do something called an exegesis. We're going to kind of go through it scripture by scripture. And uh, there are some scriptures that we're going to skip over if the if the arguments are already made. Um, I only have so much time and I want to be respectful of your time. And so I'm going to highlight things as we go along. But this is, this is going to give us understanding and expectation. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse one. It says this, pursue love and, and strive for the spiritual gifts. And especially that you may prophesy. So pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, and prophecy is vital especially that you prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? Many people uh, are under the assumption that it's about foretelling the future. Many times there is a foretelling, but if you look at it biblically and you look throughout the Old Testament, prophecy is strictly speaking under divine inspiration. It can be for the past, it can be for the present, and it can be for the future. It is strictly speaking under divine inspiration. Turn to your neighbor, say divine inspiration. And so we get this first opening up here in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, follow after love, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. So now let's go ahead and get into it. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says, For those who speak in a tongue or in another language, do not speak to other people, but to God, for nobody understands them, since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. Right. So verse two says that if you're speaking in an unknown language, 
that you're, you're speaking to God. You're not speaking to people. They're not receiving anything. I think this is a pretty easy thing to understand, right? If someone came up to you speaking in tongues, you say, thank you. I have no idea what you just said, but praise God anyhow. So they're speaking to God, not to people. People don't understand. But when you are speaking in tongues, the speaker is speaking mysteries and secrets in the spirit. Mysteries and secrets in the spirit. Let's move forward. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So here's what he's saying. If you are prophesying, if the Holy Ghost is moving on you to prophesy, to speak under divine inspiration, it is for these three purposes. Number one, it edifies. That means it corrects. That means if you've ever written a paper in, in college or high school and they say you need to edit this or you need to do a rough draft first and then you need to look at it and do a second draft. And you need to proofread, right? You need to edit it. You need to find what's wrong with it and you need to fix it. You understand this church today. I know some of us, we get offended when the preacher or the teacher comes and tells us that we're doing something wrong. But God here is teaching us that one of the very purposes for his word is what? To call us out when we're wrong. And to fix that. Somebody say amen. So I, I advise you, I advise you to, to welcome edification. To welcome it and say, how can I be better? How can I be better today than I was yesterday? Not comparing yourself to other people, but comparing yourself to who you were yesterday. Right? Have you taken another step forward? Number two is to encourage. To encourage. Sometimes I've heard people, quote unquote, prophesy. And they just shoot everybody in the face with their words. And everybody's going to hell. And everyone's just, it's all messed up. I once heard an interpretation. Uh, a preacher talk about an interpretation one time that said, it, things are tough. Things are rough. They are so difficult. I can barely make it. In other words, speaking from the perspective of God, God is saying, man, things are so hard right now. I could barely make it. And then someone was like, man, that does not sound encouraging at all. I, man, if God can barely make it, I have no hope. I have no, no opportunity. I better just, I'm going to go, you know, become something else, man, because this, if God can barely make it, we, you know, we better just figure out what we're really doing here. And so that's not very encouraging. Now, correction is one thing, but encouragement, that's biblical. That's insanely and absolutely biblical. I, I would, there's a, a man by the name of uh, Barnabas who, who people have uh, almost assumed that, or, or some make the argument that he discipled Paul. That when Paul first came into the gospel, Barnabas took him in. That wasn't his original name. They gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of consolation or somebody who consoles Somebody who encourages. Somebody who uplifts. And some of us here, you're thinking, man, that when I say that, you're thinking about somebody who encourages you. You're like, man, I love talking to that brother. That brother just consoles me. That sister, she just, every time I'm done talking to her, I'm lifted up. I feel like I'm a million bucks. And then some of us know the others who, every time you're done talking to them, you know everything that you've ever done wrong. Your breath smells. You know, you're wearing the wrong shoes and the wrong blazer. Like you just, you're all messed up. Your veil didn't match today. You know, they're just knocking you down, not encouraging. Prophecy is meant to encourage. Someone say encourage. So it edifies, it encourages, and it comforts. It comforts. Amen. Someone say amen. So let's go to verse four. Those who speak in a tongue in an unknown tongue or diverse tongue, build up themselves. But those who prophesy build up the church. So he 
creates this diversity here. He puts something right in the middle and, and starts comparing the two. He says, brother, sister, when you are speaking in tongues, you are not building up your neighbor. You're not building up your sister. You're building up yourself. We're going to see later that, that you're actually edifying yourself as you pray in the spirit, speaking in other tongues. And then he says, but those who prophesy build up the church. So you start to see this theme that is, that is taught here. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts. 12.7 says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to all to profit with all. In other words, it's for the benefit of everybody. Then chapter 13, he says, it's all about love. If you're gifted and you don't have love, then there's no point in it. There's no point. And then chapter 14, he says, you have to focus that when you're here with your brother, when you're in the congregation, when you're at your life group, you should always be thinking about the person next to you. You should always be thinking, how can I build? How can I edify? How can I console? How can I encourage? How can I uplift? Brother and sister, there, there's a clear sign of the fruits of the Spirit in your life when people walk away from you and they feel more of a Christian after they talk to you rather than feeling more like the devil. See, brother, we are here for one another to uplift one another today. Does anyone feel that calling, that burden, that, that movement in Christianity, this, this nature to our belief system? People should feel better after they speak to you than before. And as we walk in our lives, we should be thinking about our brother and sister. How can I bless them? How can I encourage them? How can I uplift them? Here, specifically with the gifts, he's saying, when you speak in an unknown tongue, you're not edifying anybody but yourself. But when you prophesy, you're edifying the entire church. When you speak under divine inspiration and God says, say this. Amen? Let's go to verse 5. Now, I would... Now, I would like all of you to speak in tongues, not e but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. He's talking about in a church context. He's saying that those who prophesy are greater or the gift of prophecy is a much more important gift in the church setting unless there is an interpretation for the tongue. And about, uh, I think it was last Sunday or, or two Sundays ago, we felt that in the atmosphere. I felt it sitting. I felt that there was a tongue and interpretation. Uh, pastor felt it. A number of people felt it. And we felt that God wanted to speak to us. And somebody was going, somebody received the interpretation. And moving forward as a church, we are making ourselves sensitive to the manifestation of the Spirit. We're making ourselves sensitive to God moving in the gifts and interpreting for us. And somebody received the interpretation. And what they would have done was they would have given that interpretation. Somebody would have spoken in tongues or in another language. The way I've seen it is the church would get quiet. And then they would finish the tongue. And then somebody would receive the interpretation and speak it out loud. And after we would all glorify and lift up God for speaking to us directly at this specific time. And so he says prophecy is better than speaking in tongues unless there is an interpreter. And so when we speak in tongues in a church context for so that everybody is receiving something, there should be an expectation that there is an interpretation. Somebody say amen. 
And once again, the gift of discerning of spirits is very important here. There was a story of a a, a preacher that I, that I I uh, have looked up to in the past, and and I've heard some of his messages and some of his uh, a few of his examples. And one time he was sharing this preaching. He said they were in church, and there was a tongue that went out, and this woman began uh, speaking in a language that that she did not know, a diverse language. The Holy Ghost was leading her lips, and and everybody got quiet, and then and then she stopped, and then the pastor said, "Who has the interpretation?" And then the preacher, who was the pastor's son, said, I have the interpretation. And he said, he began saying, thus saith the Lord, this, that, this, this, that, that, that. And when he finished, the pastor said, everything that came out of that young man's mouth was a lie from the devil. And he's like, oh, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I wasn't expecting that. And so in our church, I do not believe that that is how we're going to go about it. I believe we're going to go about it more gracefully. Uh, there are ways to go about that. Maybe something saying, thank you so much for that. Let's pray again. I believe that there's a further interpretation or I believe there's another. And so as you're leading your life groups or as you're in church or when you're planting your churches, wherever you go, wherever God takes you, uh, to, to be graceful about that. However, what you need to understand is you need to be able to discern whether or not it is the spirit of God, whether or not it is the spirit of the devil, or whether or not it's somebody's human spirit. We have to be able to recognize what is what as leaders, as authorities. So I pray that you walk around and you start thinking like this. You start practicing this. My, my, my pastor would say, uh, or he said that when we would come home from school, that he would ask us to do something. And depending on our attitude, he would it, he would tell whether or not we had some rebellious spirit that we carried from some classmate in school or whether or not the Holy Ghost was on us. And so he was always looking and trying to discern and trying to see. And I, I'll, I'll finish here. Uh, I'll, I'll move forward here. But I, I will just say this one more thing about discernment. The term discern, many people think and they say, well, you're not supposed to judge. The church doesn't judge. Nobody, you know, only God can judge me etc etc and i would say you're not really looking at the bible holistically you're not looking at it its entirety you're 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 cherry picking a few scriptures see the gift of discerning of spirits the term discernment means to judge and literally god is giving people gifts to judge spirits and first peter says that judgment begins at the house of the lord First Corinthians says, don't you not know that we are going to be judging angels at the end of the age? The church has to understand that our ability to judge needs to be righteous and holy. And I'm not going to get off into that, but I just want to encourage you to study that out. If you've ever studied, if you ever heard otherwise, somebody say amen. Thank you so much for following along with me. Uh, let's go ahead and move forward. Let's go to verse six. It says this, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you in some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And then he starts to go into the specific sounds argument. So I, I remember when I was when I was younger, my cousins used to live with us and we would on Saturdays, my dad would love to wake us up around 8 a.m. Uh, and uh, maybe a little earlier 
And we'd be working and cleaning up the backyard and pulling out weeds and cleaning out the garage around 8 a.m. He just loved doing that to us. I do not know why. And uh, so we'd be out there. And I remember, you know, he'd come back with McDonald's double cheeseburgers. And, and, and you know, we'd be working hard. And I'd be, me and my cousin Andy, we'd be pulling out weeds saying, man, this is worth like 16 double cheeseburgers right now. Like, man, this is, I'm going to bring these as a double cheeseburger offering to my father. All these roots and these weeds. And he's going to have to get me a chocolate milkshake, you know. So I remember all that. And I remember one time we were working in the backyard and we were waiting for my mom the the faint sound of her voice to just call us and say all right guys come and eat and when it's time to eat that's it we were done and I remember we were all working and and nobody heard her except my cousin who was all the way in the very back backyard and he heard her faint whisper guys come and eat and he comes running out, come and eat, in slow motion. I didn't even know that was possible. He just came running out, and he just heard that faint whisper. I'm not sure he was really working back there, but the truth is, right, he was just waiting for that specific sound, for that specific thing, right? He was expecting it, patiently waiting, right? And so how do we know unless my mom communicated to us? How would we know? I say all that to say this. When we speak in another tongue, the church does not understand. But if you want to edify your brother, you need that interpretation. And so he begins talking about trumpets. He begins talking about uh, uh, instruments and how people need to understand the sounds. They need to understand them uh, and that we need to speak words that are understood. Somebody say amen. So let's go to 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve. Let's jump to verse 12. It says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in them for building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. Verse uh, 13 in the New King James Version says this, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So the understanding is this, as you are speaking in tongues, if you feel or you believe and the Spirit is leading you and saying this is a a gifting and God wants to speak to the church in its entirety and you're speaking in tongues, then you should pray for the interpretation. Because we are in this church context, in this setting, we need to understand we are here to edify one another. If you're speaking in tongues by yourself, That's fine, but you're only edifying yourself. But if you feel that the gift of speaking in uh, in tongues is being activated in you for the benefit of the congregation, then we pray for an interpretation. We pray for an interpreter. There is a number of people here amongst us who have that gift. God has used them in that gift specifically in the past. And so be encouraged. It's very likely uh, to happen as we expect it. Let's go to verse uh, 13. Or I'll just, I'll just comment on it again. Is that when you speak in other unknown languages, pray that you interpret for the congregation, specifically for, for speaking in tongues in this setting. Let's go to verse 14. Excuse me. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. If you pray in unknown languages, he's saying your spirit is praying. Later on in in, uh, Titus, I believe also in Jude, it talks about praying in the spirit. And so here we believe that that is the same thing. 1 Corinthians 14, this is one of the only places where it says my spirit prays. 
right? So it's talking about uh, if he's praying in tongues, then his spirit is praying, but his understanding is unfruitful. If you pray in an unknown language, your spirit is praying. So speaking in tongues is your spirit praying. Somebody say amen. So this is what we take away from verse 14. However, your understanding is unfruitful. Amen. Verse 15. One can pray in the spirit and in their understanding. One can sing in the spirit and in their understanding. I don't have time to get into that. Um, but just, just know that you, we are to pray in the spirit and we are to pray in our understanding. If we are walking around or we're praying and we are only speaking in tongues throughout all of our prayer life, there, there's a, a, an unhealthy balance there. But if you're only praying in your understanding and you're not praying in the spirit, then there is an unhealthy balance there. There needs to be a balance. He says, so what? I will pray both in the spirit and I will pray with the understanding. Let's go to verse 15. Uh, what, I'm sorry. Let's go to uh, verse. Let's go to verse 21. I'm sorry. Verse 18. Let's put a verse 18. Excuse me. 14, 18 it says, I think my God, Paul is saying, I think my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So very clearly we see that praying in an unknown tongue, unknown language, is common for the Christian believer. Paul here is strictly saying, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. We read elsewhere. He says, I, I wish that all of you would speak in tongues. He says, but when I'm in this church setting, when I'm here, I'd rather just speak five words that everybody can understand than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. He's speaking in hyper hyperbole, and he's just saying, listen, I'd much rather a visitor, a newcomer, a believer, a brother, a sister be edified, encouraged, be, hear the gospel, learn about Jesus, than me stand up here behind a pulpit speaking in tongues and everybody saying, wow, that was an uh, interesting 45 minutes, and then walking out. Somebody say amen. Amen. So that's, that, that is what he's saying. Amen. So let's go ahead and move forward. Let's go to verse 23. For the sake of time, I have to skip through some things. I wish I could go through all of it, um, but I, I want to be respectful of everybody's time. It says this, ver verse 23. If all speak in languages that are not understood, then those who are uninstructed and unbelievers They'll think you're crazy. So let's go ahead and read this. I'm sorry. Can you go to verse 22? Let's start from there. Verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe, not but for them which believe. Verse 23. If therefore the whole church come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers... Will they not say that you're crazy? Will they not say that you're out of your mind? Myself personally, church, uh, I, um, I, if I, if a visitor comes or I meet or I'm bringing somebody, I always instruct them or teach them about speaking in tongues before they walk into our church building. Why? Because they're going to hear it. And I do not want them to think that we're crazy. It literally says that. And Paul didn't want them to think 
that we're crazy. I know we say, man, I'm a crazy apostolic Pentecostal, devil chaser, tongue talking, holy roller. You know, I got, I drink the anointing oil off the pulpit. You know, I'm, I'm all that, right? Like, I know I got it. I know we're crazy. We're wild. But Paul said, I don't want anyone to think we're crazy. I want them to get something. I want them to learn something. I want them to grow. Why? Because it's not about you. It's not about what you are. I just couldn't contain it. I couldn't hold myself. I just had to spit on that brother as I was praising God. I just couldn't hold myself. No, that's a lie. You could hold yourself. You were just thinking about how you were feeling. You weren't thinking about them. Right. And so the idea is about thinking about the person on your right, thinking about the person on your left, thinking about the visitor, the person who came here for the first time, hearing us speaking in another language. Man, they're going to think we're crazy. So you explain. So you teach. And also in the church, we keep we keep it organized. Amen. Pastor will go ahead and uh, talk about those things as uh, as um when he gets the opportunity. But I just kind of want to go through 1 Corinthians 14 and, and speak what Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. All right, and let's go to verse 27, 14, 27. It says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, so now we're going to talk about, I'm sorry, now we're going to talk about how to use these giftings in the church. He gives them instructions about how to use this kind of gifting. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. So when we are in a church setting, what he is saying is in their church setting, let there be two or three interpretations at the most. In other words, we'll hear a tongue and interpretation, a tongue and interpretation, a tongue and interpretation. And after that, that's it. Others have argued it other ways, but from our current understanding, we, that is the way that usually it'll play out. Now, why is that? Why wouldn't God just limit it to three? Why wouldn't God just say, okay, three, that's it. No more tongues, no more interpretation, and then just close the faucet on the gift. Why wouldn't he do that, right? And so we're going to go through that in, in verse 32. But I just want to deposit that question. Why doesn't God just say, why, why doesn't God just stop it? Why does he allow us to continue if Paul is giving us the instruction saying, hey, leave it up. It's up to us to obey this, two or three, whether we're going to be disobedient or obedient. Right? So I'm going to read that one more time. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. And so one of the things I think he's, he's explaining here is that you cannot water down this gift. If you are speaking in tongues out loud for all the church to hear, but God has not moved on you to release an instructive tongue on the church, then you are watering down the use of this gift. And so if it is not the Holy Ghost moving you to release a tongue, then you should speak in tongues what I, this is what the scripture says, not me. If no interpreter, let the, verse 28, if no interpreter, let the one who prays in an unknown tongue pray quietly between him and God. Amen. So that's what the scripture says. Let's keep moving. 1432. Uh, let's go 1432. Ready? It says, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. What does that mean? So going back to my first question, 
Why doesn't God just cut it off? Why? Because God submits, hear us, hear me. God submits his power and authority to us. I know that sounds crazy, but let me ask you this. Does God want you to sin? No. Have you sinned? Yes. What does that mean? That he submits his will to your will. The Bible says in 1 Peter that he desires that none should perish, but all come to repentance. That is his will. But do some perish? Yes. Against his will? Yes. Why? Because he submits his will to our will. He has given us dominion, and he has given our will a special place in the world, a special place in his view. He does not force himself on anybody. He allows us to agree and to partner with him, and then to submit to him by extension. But always, I'm sure some of us on Sunday or on Wednesday after Bible study, we're like, man, I'm submitting to the will of God now. I'm pumped. I'm on fire. That was an amazing altar call. People were saved and set free. I love it. Uh, you know, we got mocos and tears coming down and you use all the tissues in the box and you're just, man, you're on fire. Everything's great. And then what happens the very next day? You're, I'm not sure I'm going to submit to God today. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, do a bunch of craziness, right? Why, why is that? See, why doesn't God stop you and say, oh, you told me yesterday. Why? Because God chooses, God chooses to put his will in submission to our will. That is, that is mind-blowing. And here he says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So you see this theme, this holistic, this larger view of what God expects. And what does that mean? He gives us accountability. He gives us responsibility. He says, you might have a gifting to speak in a public setting. I, you have the responsibility to draw them to God and not to you. Right, you have an ability to sing and to 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 bless the congregation, but you have a responsibility to draw them to me and not to yourself. And you might be an amazing life group leader, and you might have any other gift. You might pray for people and they're healed in a moment, and you might pray for people and they're healed in this moment and that moment. And and, and but the question is, are you bringing them to the name of Jesus, or are you bringing them to so and so ministries? And this church today is pointing its finger to Jesus. Life group leaders pointing their fingers to Jesus. We're saying, Lord, it's on you. And so what happens? He says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I'll just tell you this. In other words, if you see somebody going in, right, and then the, the speaker comes up and says, please, everyone be quiet. And then maybe somebody continues and they say, please, ushers, can you please let them know to, to stop? And then they keep going. And then the ushers come and tap them, excuse me, can you keep it down? And they just keep going and keep going. And they keep praying and dancing and moving around. And they're saying, I'm sorry, I couldn't stop. I'll just say, I'm sorry. But 1 Corinthians 14, 32 and 33 says that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, God will never take you further than you will allow him to go. I'll say that one more time. God will never take you further than you will allow him to go. Which means you can stop the move of the spirit as well as you can release. 
And so if they're, and what, what's the con, what is the reason? What is the context? For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. He doesn't have people over here and over there and over here and over. Now, this is in a church setting when we're learning, when it becomes a prayer service and the goal is to pray and to talk to God individually, then things begin to change. That's still a part of order. But when it's now me speaking to you, us uh, receiving instruction, etc., there needs to be order. And if the man of God comes up and says, Hey, I feel of the spirit everyone we need to be quiet let's just wait God is going to speak to us and somebody continues and he says please keep it down please tell them to be quiet and they continue they are not any longer in the spirit now they're in the flesh does that make sense and so God is teaching us he's a God of order turn your neighbor say God of order he's a God of order so you have the ability to control the activity of the spirit now that is both scary news and amazing news why because God will take you as far as you will allow him. And some of us, we only want God to take us so far. But there are others sitting here today that say, Lord, I will go as far as you want me to go. God, I will go as deep as you want me to go. I will go as through and through as you want me to go. And I know that there are believers today who are saying, God, take me further. Let's take another step. Take me to a well that is going to feed me. Take me to a pasture that is going to feed me. Take me to, 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 to still waters, Lord. I'm ready to go wherever you want me to go. He is the bishop of our souls. He is the overseer. He is the shepherd. He is our shepherd today. And so I, I, I ask you, I advise you to allow God to take you as far as he wants to take you. When is the last time you prayed and said, Lord, take me as far as you want. Take away anything you want to take away. Give me anything you want to give. I'm going to go as far as you want me to go. Amen. So I encourage you, church. Let's read verse 39 and then we're done. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. There are many congregations, there are many beliefs that have to ignore that. Okay, we're not doing that. He's just telling us how to do it. If there is no interpretation in a church setting, do it quietly between you and God. Do not water down the use of this gift. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. He's saying, Try, please understand what I'm trying to say. This is about decency and this is about order. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, say order. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Amen. Why don't we all stand right now? Amen. We want to thank you so much for receiving this. Why don't we go ahead and pray? Amen. And we just ask that. God would continue to allow us to understand, to learn, to grow, and to expect the move of his spirit in this place. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for blessing us. We thank you for keeping us, for giving us a new life, a new opportunity, a new chance to walk in the spirit, to walk in the gifts of the spirit. I pray a stirring. I pray an activation. I pray divine utterance is activated. I pray that understanding is given, that a spiritual maturity and a trust would go forward today. I pray that you would mature us, that we would not be carnal and immature, that we would not be divisive, but that we'd be given to you and you alone in the name of Jesus. We love you. We thank you. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a